16 years ago in 2007, it's a pretty viral story about a man who worked in a Dunkin' Donuts whose name was Dustin Hoffman, not the actor. So a regular Dunkin' Donuts employee whose name was Dustin Hoffman. And he was working in a Dunkin' Donuts in New Jersey, and a guy came into the store. This guy was a robber. He would, what he would do is called a uh, cash grab. You know, like when you jump over the counter and like grab from the cash register. Cash register. Thank you so much for the English. <laughs> you grab from the cash register and like run out of the store. So this guy, Dustin Hoffman, he grabs the robber and he grabs a mug and he starts sm smashing this robber in the head repeatedly until the robber lets go of the money and runs out of the store. And Dustin Hoffman was asked, why did you do that? I was like, if you're a Dunkin' Donuts employee, you generally don't risk your life for minimum wage working at a Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> it's like, hey, if you want the money, that's corporate's problem. That's not my issue. Maybe they have insurance for these types of things. What made him risk his life? So he said a fascinating answer. He said YouTube. YouTube made him risk his life. Why? Because he said, I know that this footage from the security camera is going to end up on YouTube. And when people, and those videos, by the way, like those, like, you know, like they have like compilations on YouTube of like, gotten off him. Like if you went onto YouTube today and you said like, people who hold up stores, those videos have sometimes millions of hits, sometimes tens of millions of hits. So Dustin Hoffman knew that he was going to be immortalized through YouTube and that millions of people potentially are going to watch this. And the question is, what are they going to see when they see him? Will they see somebody who goes, by all means, please? Or will they see somebody who's galvanized into action? Will they see somebody who stands up, who's courageous, and so on and so forth? There's a medrash in Rus Rabbah It's a complex medrash to understand. We're going to try to understand a little bit of it tonight as a preparation for Shavuos. The medrash tells us that if a person has the opportunity to do a mitzvah, he should do so with a happy heart. Because if Ruvain would have known that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was writing everything down in the Torah about what he was doing, then Ruvain certainly would have gone and brought Yosef back to his father, carrying him on his shoulders. If Aaron would have known that HaKadosh Baruch Hu would one day write about him, that you're going to come out to greet Moshe Rabbeinu in the Midbar, he would have come out with a marching band. And finally, if Boaz would have known that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was going to write about him, that he brought food, simple roasted corn, to Rus, if he would have known that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was writing it down, then he would have brought her a Flesha Kasuba. And this medrash is very difficult to understand. If Ruvain would have known that his actions were being written about in the Torah, he would have carried Yosef out on his shoulders. If Aaron would have known that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was writing about him, that he was going out to greet Moshe Rabbeinu in the Midbar, he wouldn't have just come out, he would have brought a marching band. If Boaz would have known that it was being written down, that he brought out food to Rus, he would have brought out a Flesha Kasuba. It sounds almost like the narcissism of Dustin Hoffman. Like really, really, 
I don't want to like protect the cash register. But if it's going to go up on YouTube, I don't want to look pathetic. So I'll fight back. It's not altruistic what Dustin Hoffman said, right? It's practical. I don't want everybody in the world to look at me and go, I'm the guy that didn't stand up for the store. So what in the world does this mean? Ruvain was a tzaddik. We have no idea what it means to be a shevet. You know, like in our world, sometimes, like we go to visit Kivrei Tzadikim, of course, of course you have the opportunity to visit Kivrei Tzadikim, you should visit Kivrei Tzadikim, but in Eretz Yisrael, we actually have the kvarim of the shvatim. Like the shvatim are here. A shevet, to be one of the children of Yaakov Avinu, that's a seriously big tzaddik. Really, Ruvain is so shallow that if he would have known that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was writing it down, then he would have done the right thing. But other than that, he does the wrong thing. If Arna Cohen knew that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was writing it down, he would have been like, let me not just go like greet Moshe Rabbeinu, but I'll bring a marching band. Because I want people to say about me for all time that I brought a marching band. That's really what I want. It sounds unlike what we would have expected. We expect that these are people who do big things for big reasons. We don't expect that these people are doing things for fame and fortune. And here we have, at the birth of Melech HaMashiach, Rus and Boaz. This is why we read Rus on, on Shavuos. This is the birth of Melech HaMashiach. And Rus gives her some roast, Boaz gives Rus some roasted corn. But if he would have known that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was writing it down, then, then he said, I would have brought a Flesha Kasuda. So really she deserved the Flesha Kasuda, but because you didn't know that you were going to get famous for this, so you only brought roasted corn? That sounds like a very difficult shot, but the Medrash does say it. There's another Medrash in Vayikar Rabbah that I want to share with you. Medrash in Vayikar Rabbah tells us that in earlier times when a person would do a mitzvah, the Nevi'im would actually record the mitzvah. And now that there are no Nevi'im to record the mitzvos, the Medrash says, Elio and Mashiach and HaKadosh Baruch, Elio and Melech HaMashiach write down our mitzvos, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu stamps it. So every time that we do a mitzvah, used to be, when there was, in the times of the Nevi'im, you would walk down the street, you would speak to the Navi, and the Navi, the Navi knew, prophetically. The Navi would see you, you'd walk in, and the Navi would go, yeah, I know your mitzvos. You'd open up the book, you'd open up the ledger, and there would be a list of Sarah's mitzvos. There would be a list of Rivka's mitzvos. So you could literally see with your own eyes that your mitzvos are being recorded. Now that we have no more Nevi'im, Elio and Melech HaMashiach are writing down our, writing down our mitzvos and HaKadosh Baruch Hu stamps it. What's the significance of knowing this? And also, doesn't it sound like the sort of, and forgive me for speaking this way because I don't mean it, but doesn't it sound a little bit like the childish type of Judaism that we're trying to get away from? Like, doesn't it sound a little bit like, I know it's being written down. I know that in Shemayim there's going to be like a book of my mitzvahs. It sounds a little bit childish. That's not why we engage in mitzvahs. We don't engage in mitzvahs. It's not like a video game. We're not trying to accrue points. Right? We, anytime we talk about olam haba, anytime we talk about schar, remember schar mitzvah mitzvah. The reward of a mitzvah is a mitzvah itself. If you can come to your husband and you can show him a ledger, here's all the things you did for me. You're a good boy. Right? Like, uh, like pat him on the head, you know, like a little dog. You know, like, look, look you're a good boy. You have, you had ten mitzvahs today. That's not a relationship. We don't keep track in that way of, of, of the people that love us. It's a, it's a strange way of thinking about it. So 
What do Chazal mean when they're communicating to us that Eliyahu Navi and Melch HaMashiach are writing down our mitzvahs and the Kaddish Baruch Hu is stamping it? What's the significance of this? I want to share with you a shot that I heard 22, 20, 22 or 23 years ago. We know that Cain killed Hevel. Why? Because it says, that when it came to Hevel's carbon, HaKadosh Baruch Hu accepted his carbon. But when it came to the carbon of Cain, HaKadosh Baruch Hu did not pay attention to his carbon. And there's a very deep psychology at play here. The Torah is telling us something very important. And girls, if you can open your hearts, this is important. Open your hearts, put away your phones, it's all mouth, yeah? If you can open your hearts, it's a really important thing. <coughs> when a person believes that they don't matter, they are capable of committing atrocities. When a person believes that they don't matter, that their actions matter to no one, they're capable of doing things that they never thought possible. If you would have asked Cain, before that carbon was brought, are you capable of fratricide? Are you capable of committing murder, of murdering your own sibling? He would have said, of course not. Of course not. How, how could I have harmed my brother? And in a million years, I never would have harmed my brother. But when we think that nobody's watching, when we think nobody's paying attention, when we think nobody, nobody cares about us, you'll see that people are capable of doing things that they never thought possible. It's a, it's a reality in life. It's a reality that if there are people that walk around with self-esteem, there are people that walk around with dignity, that means that they say about themselves, this matters, I matter, so I would never do that. Right? We all have baseline levels of dignity. Things that we would never do because we know if somebody was watching me, I would be, hor- would be horrified. I'd be horrified if they saw me doing this. There's a, um, there's a story, and I, I won't tell you who the Rebbe is, because it doesn't matter. There's a story about a yeshiva that had a certain policy when it came, this is many, many, many years ago, they had a policy when it came to reading secular books. They didn't want the boys reading secular novels. There's a lot of inappropriate content in there. So this yeshiva's policy was no secular novels. The mashkiach of this yeshiva, I don't know how true this story is, but this is what they say, that the mashkiach of the yeshiva, and I'm sure it's not true, but it's certainly true. If it's not true, then it's true also. The mashkiach of the boy walked into his room, and the boy was reading the book, and he quickly like, tried to hide it under the covers, you know, like that type of move. And, uh, and the mashkiach was very kind and very gentle, and he said, it's okay, it's okay, show me what you're reading. And so the boy, very embarrassed, he, he took out the book, and he showed him, and he said, come, come with me. And so the boy started getting like, very agitated, Rebbe, I know I broke the rule of the yeshiva, let me just throw it out. And he's like, no, no, it's okay, just come with me. And they started walking, and they're, and they're walking, and the boy realizes where they're going. They're going to the base madrash. And the boy's like, Rebbe, please do not make me bring this book into the base madrash. He said, it's okay, it's okay. He put his arm around his shoulder, they're walking up the stairs, they're going to the base madrash, the boy is cringing. Rebbe, please do not make me walk into the base madrash with this secular book. And the Mashkiz looked very kind to him. He's like rubbing his back. He's like, don't worry, it's okay. They walk into the base madrash. I'm going to assume for the purposes of this story that nobody was around, that it wouldn't have embarrassed them in any way. They walk into the base madrash, and they start walking towards the front of the base madrash, and the boy realizes what's coming. The boy realizes what's coming. 
he's going to make him put this secular book in the Aaron Kodesh. So, I'm, again, I'm assuming there's no bizarre, I'm assuming there's no embarrassment, I'm assuming the story is not true, but the message of the story is true, even if the story is not true. I'm assuming that it was a situation where this would have only been good chinuch, it would have been bad chinuch, of course I wouldn't tell you the story, and I'm not saying this is the right thing to do. The message, the message is what we're talking about, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah everyone clear? Everyone got the subtext of what I just said? Yeah? yeah? yeah. I wouldn't do this in the Vaseret. If a boy had it, we'd be like, come, walk into the base measure in front of a group of people, throw open the iron coat, and we'd be like, put it in. No, that's not, that's not the right thing to do. This Mashkiach opened up the uh, parochas to the base medrash, to the Aaron Kodesh, opened up the doors of the Aaron Kodesh, and he said, go ahead, put it in. And the boy said, Rabbi, I am not putting it in the Aaron. And the Mashkiach, in a very loving way, turned to him and said, exactly. You are much more chashev than an Aaron Kodesh. You are much more chashev than an Aaron Kodesh. If you wouldn't put this, in, this inappropriate content inside of an Aaron Kodesh, then don't put it inside of you. It was a build-up type of message. It wasn't a knockdown type of message. The boy in the, in, the, in the privacy of his own room was reading it, and the Mashkech was trying to tell him, because you don't think that you matter. In Aaron Kodesh, I would never, in Aaron Kodesh, Aaron Kodesh holds Torah scrolls. You are a walking, living Sefer Torah. The message that what we do matters is really important, because what we're capable of doing when we think we don't matter is wild. There's always these two lives that we have, right? There's our public life, and then there's our private life. I'm going to give an example. I don't mean to give an example. I'm going to give an example. I'm not speaking about anybody here. I'm not speaking about any person in particular. I've just heard. I've heard this concept. I don't know if it's true. I'm sure it's not true about anybody who's here or anybody who's ever listening to this year ever. I'm just saying I heard a concept. that There are girls who might, in, in seminary, dress one way. And they might dress in that way as they walk from here to the bus. But there seems to be some sort of magical transformation that occurs on the bus. It's that, it's that book, uh, The Magic School Bus. You know, the, uh, what was the name of the woman with the frizzy hair? Mrs. Frizzle, right? It's like I got halfway there. Mrs. Frizzy hair, Mrs. Frizzle, right? Somehow, on that magical vortex of that bus, the girl that walked onto the bus might look very different than the girl that walks off of the bus. It's like one of those quick change acts, like they have those magic acts. How'd that happen? I'll tell you. Because there's two, there's, two, there's two people here, right? There's the person I am when I'm here, and then there's the person I'm at, um, that I am when I'm there. And we dive in every day, You should be a Yare Shemayim in private, you should be a Yare Shemayim in public. Right? Of course, we're all two people. I'm not here to say that we're not. Right? There's the persona that you are in seminaries. There's the persona that you are when you're outside of seminaries. There's the persona that I am when I'm up here. There's the persona that I am when I go home. We're all multiple people. I'm not suggesting that that's not a normal thing. But what we work towards is being somebody who, whether I'm in public or whether I'm in private, whether I'm in seminary or whether I'm out in town, whether I'm in Eretz Yisrael or whether I'm in America, wherever I am, we are aspiring to be authentic. We're aspiring to be tochel kebara. We're aspiring to be people that say, I know that this matters, and the actions of my life indicate that my life matters. Chas v'shalom to say that a Jew is sitting here going like, okay, I'm about to do this Aveira, but I also know that Elio and Melech HaMashiach are writing it down. Well, I don't want them to write down a bad thing, so I won't do the Aveira. No, it's much more sophisticated than that. That's a very, very low level. 
Of course, it's good not to do the Avera, but it's still a very low level. What Chazal mean to teach us is that when we do an Avera or when we do a mitzvah, somebody's writing it down. It matters. If Ruvain would have known how much his actions mattered, then yes, they would have been different. And Ruvain was a tzaddik. If if Arna Cohen would have known how much his actions mattered, then yeah, he would have done it differently. He would have gone out with a marching band. He was already a tzaddik. He didn't, have, he didn't have a bad intention. He said, my brother's coming. Let me go greet my brother. But if we pause in our lives and we say, wait a second. If we were writing a movie, if there's the YouTube about us, right? If there's the security footage, then we might say to ourselves, what's the best version of myself in this moment? The best version of myself is that if I'm about to meet my wife, a woman with whom I will ultimately give birth to the lineage of Davin Malchus HaMashiach, of Shlomo HaMelech, all of that came from Rus and Boaz, then yes, it's not just throwing a bagel at her. It's inviting her to Entricot. It's Rodriguez. It's whatever, it's whatever glot kosher, mahadrin, badatz, edicharedis restaurant you can find here, and the best possible steak because... You know what it's like? It's like, imagine you went on a first date. I just thought of this right now. Imagine you went on a first date and you went to a hotel lobby. And let's say, you didn't know, but let's say that's the guy you marry. If you knew that it was the guy you would marry, you probably wouldn't go to the hotel lobby. Because you'd be celebrating. You'd be like, you should know. It's like, uh, I don't want to say this out loud, but let's say that there was a seven or eight season running long show about how I met your mother. Let's say you had such a thing. <laughs> Right? And it's like the countdown to when they're actually going to meet, right? Let's say, I mean, nobody cared by the end, but let's say, right? How I met your mother, right? But when we meet, it has to be epic. I don't, wanna, I don't want our first date to be in a hotel lobby at the Hamilton Inn off the JFK. That's not a romantic story. No, I want our first date to be, because I'm about to meet the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. I want that to be epic. Of course you want it to be epic. The problem is we don't know who the next person is going to be. So we're like, all right, look. You might be a hotel lobby guy until you're not, right? And then maybe we'll have that more invested date. But only because we don't know. It's not that we're doing it for the publicity. It's that a person who knows that their actions matter act differently. There's a, there's a beautiful story in Tanakh. We all know this story. It's a story about... A young, a young man who's the son of a farmer, and he's not, uh, he's not having a life that's particularly spiritual, though he wants to. And Elio Anavi walks by, and he's, the corner of Elio Anavi's jacket touches this young man. And this young man says, I'm in. I'm in. Wherever you go, Elio Anavi, I'm with you. The young man's name was Elisha. Elisha Navi goes on to become the great Navi of Klal Yisrael, a close Talmud of Elio Navi. And right before Elio Navi ascends to Shamayim, Elio Navi turns to Elisha and he says, Elisha, tell me what bracha you want. As I'm about to leave this world, tell me what bracha you want. And Elisha says a very strange thing. He says, Rebbe, I want pishnayim meiruchacha, which literally means I want to be twice as great as you. That's a very strange thing to ask from your Rebbe. Could you imagine getting a bracha from your Rebbe? Rebbe, please, I want to be twice as great as you. That seems to be a strange bracha. But I heard a pshat many years ago from Rav Moshe Weinberger, and I want to share it with you tonight, because it's 
for me, one of the most important drashas that I ever heard in my entire life. He said, everybody in this world has two ruchos, two spirits. There's who we are and who we know we're meant to be. And Elisha Hanavi, the Zohar HaKadosh brings down that he is the Gilgal of Kain. Kain ve'el minchaso lo shah. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu did not turn towards his karbon. Elisha is Elisha. Somebody's paying attention to me. Elisha, somebody, somebody created me and there's a feeling that I have that my life matters. And that's what was frustrating Elisha as he's the son of a farmer. He's thinking to himself, what am I doing with my life? Like, is this it? Is this what they're going to say about me after 120? That I plowed the land? Is that my life? Is that, is that chashev? Is this the life that I want? I want to know what was in the corner of Elio Anavi's jacket. Elio Anavi wore a, a litvish frock. He wore a long black coat. Is that what it was? He had, a long, he had a long black coat and he had an up hat. And he walked through the fields and he smacked people with the corner of his jacket. I would love such a jacket. I would walk around the Basarat and all day long I would just smack people with the corner of my jacket. <coughs> Guys would be passionate about their davening, about their learning, about their Yiddishkeit. What was in the corner of Elio Anavi's jacket? So I'll tell you a secret. This is what I heard from Rav Weinberger 23 years ago. Nothing was in the corner of Elio Anavi's jacket. It was an excuse. Elisha was waiting for an excuse. There are people in this world that they're great people. They know they have it in them to be a great person but they were never given the excuse. They were never given the, like, go for it thing. So when Elisha Hanavi met Elio Hanavi, he said, I'm with you. Because when I'm with you, Rebbe, I feel like those two ruchos, I feel like I could become the person that I want to be. Yes, I'm Elisha Hanavi, but I'm also Elisha. I know there's a better version of myself. And Elisha Hanavi was dovic to his Rebbe. He spent his entire life by his Rebbe's side. And then now Elio Anavi is about to ascend to Shamayim. He's about to go up to Shamayim. And he says to Elisha, what bracha do you want? And Elisha says, Rebbe, I want pishnayim meruchacha. What does it mean I want pishnayim meruchacha? It means not I want to be twice as great as you. Is Rebbe, when you're around, I feel like there's two ruchos. I feel like there's two me's, the person that I am and the person that I could be. But Rebbe, when you're gone, who's going to remind me of the person that I could be? So please give me a bracha, Rebbe, that even when you're gone, I could still feel your presence in reminding me that my actions matter, that somebody is writing down what I do in Shamayim so that I could become the best version of myself. That was the bracha that, Eli- that Elisha Navi asked for. There's a, ter- a beautiful and a terrible story in Tanakh. It's a beautiful story. It has a tragic ending. It's a story about Rav Yochanan and Reish Lakish. Rav Yochanan was bathing in the river Reish Lakish was a bandit. He was a, a person who had committed terrible atrocities. And Reish Lakish saw, according to one opinion in the Gemara, he saw Rav Yochanan, and he didn't realize that Rav Yochanan was a man who was bathing down in the river, and he was very far away, and he jumped into the river with intention to do harm to Reish Lakish. And when he got there, he realized that he was a man. And Rav Yochanan looks at him and he goes, You should use your power for Torah. And Reish Lakish responds, your beauty is for women. And Rav Yochanan responds back to Reish Lakish, you should know that if you would do tshuva, I would let you marry my sister. It's a very strange conversation. We don't really know what it means. If somebody came, if I was in the mikvah, in the river, and somebody jumped into the river with intention to harm me, my first response wouldn't be, maybe go to yeshiva. (laughs) 
It's not a natural first response. And then what, is, what does Reish Lakish respond back? Your beauty is for women? What was he saying? But Rav Yechanan's response back to Reish Lakish is even stranger. You know, I have a sister. Baruch Hashem, married, with a child. But there was a time when my sister was single. And you know, you keep your eye out. You're you know, in Manahal of the Yeshiva, you see a guy, you go, hmm, maybe. You know, like, you keep your eye out, she's your sister. If a guy jumped into the river with intention to do me harm, that's not a great shidduch for your sister. <laughs> I want to know what it looked like when Rav Yechanan came home and said, I met a great guy today. Really? Where'd you meet him? In the river. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what were you doing in the river? What was he doing in the river? Well, Rav Yechanan must have been a very good shidduch, and he lied his brains off, right? It must have been, right? That is a commentary on Shadchanas, but okay, a different time. Yeah. <laughs> so what's going on here? So this is a beautiful pshat. When Reish Lakish jumped into the river, you know why he jumped into the river? To do harm to Rav Yechanan? Because he was a person his whole life who never got the attention that he needed. He was never told you're special. He never was told this is your place in the Makamatari. And he jumped into the river, and once he realized it was Rav Yechanan, he wasn't interested. But Rav Yechanan said to him, look at how powerful you are. Look how awesome you are. Just take that same midah and use it in the service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I heard many years ago a story from Rav Weinberger that there was, a, there was a boy in Ezra Academy where Rav Weinberger taught. There was a boy who was a known ganav. He was a thief. And uh, Rav Weinberger had a, had a van. He had many children. He had a big, you know, one of those big yeshivish vans. You know, big yeshivish vans have big yeshivish mirrors on the side. <laughs> And sometimes his wife would be driving the van and the mirror would come off. She'd like knock into a car or something or a pole and the mirror would come off. So the boy comes into, uh, the boy comes into, um, into Rav Weinberger's shirim one morning and he goes, Rebbe, I just want you to know that I, I replaced the mirror that was broken. I put a new mirror on the car. And Rav Weinberger's first instinct was to go, where'd you get the mirror from? And there, this guy was like one of these thug, you know, thug Queens kids. So he was like, Rabbi, don't worry about it. I took care of it, you know. So Weinberg is like, okay, fine. So he's sitting and learning. And an hour later, the principal comes into the classroom and she looks at the boy and she says to the boy, what'd you do with my mirror? <laughs> so he, he's, he said, look, you're, you're a principal. You're very harsh of a person, but this is the Rebbe. The Rebbe needed a mirror, you know. <laughs> and Weinberger said that that boy today is sitting and learning in Lakewood and he's a Bala Machaber of many Svarim already. And, he, and it's the same midah, he's the same ganav that he was, that same energy, but now he's using it in the Alamat Torah. This is what Rav Yechanan was saying to Reish Lakish. He's saying, you have tremendous kayach. But what did Reish Lakish hear? Reish Lakish just heard another judgmental Rebbe. Another Rebbe who's telling him, you're not in the right place. You know, we have, uh, we have people that are wandering Jews. You know the wandering Jews? Wandering Jews is the Rebbe is speaking in front of the class and the boy has ADHD and he's just marching around in the back of the class. You, you know that girl, you are that girl, you've met that girl, your girl's that sister, right? And marching around in the back of the class. And the Rebbe's always like, could you sit down, could you sit down, you're disturbing the class. There are people in life that are just told over and over again, you're in the wrong place, you're in the wrong place, you're in the wrong place. So what is Reish Lakashir? Reish Lakashir is another Rebbe, he's a Chalchalai Raisa, another, another kid who's, who doesn't really belong and he's not doing the right thing. So Reish Lakish said, Shof I'm not in the right place, you're also not in the right place. Look at you, you're so beautiful, you should be a woman. <laughs> so Rav Yechanan heard the pain in his voice. And Rav Yechanan said, no, 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 you don't understand, I really mean it. I know what the problem is, I know that you don't feel like you belong. You should know that if you would do tshuva, you could marry my sister. Like you do belong here. You could be a part of my family. 
That was the gift that Rav Yechanan was giving to Reish Lakish. He was saying to him, you could become a great person if only you would know that you do belong, that your actions do matter. And Reish Lakish did tshuva. And he became the great Reish Lakish, who, if you look in Gemara all over Shas, Reish Lakish, Reish Lakish, Reish Lakish, Reish Lakish. Not only did he become a great Gavul B'tayra, but he became Rav Yechanan's Chavrusa. And they were so close. And one day they were sitting and learning. And they were learning a particular sugya about weaponry. And Rav Yechanan and Reish Lakish disagreed. And Rav Yechanan said, I should defer to you. After all, this is your area of expertise. And Reish Lakish was hurt by that. And he, he understood Rav Yechanan to be like saying a disparaging thing about him, which perhaps Rav Yechanan didn't mean. And so he said, do you think I, do you think I, you think I needed this? I was the king of the bandits. I'm a king in Claudius. So you think I needed this? He didn't mean to say that he didn't value the Torah that he was learning. He meant to say, like, I didn't do this for Kavod. But Rav Yechanan misunderstood what Rish Lakish said. And he thought that he was saying that he didn't value the Torah. So Rav Yechanan said, you don't value the fact that I brought you Tachas Kanfei Ashkina? And he refused to speak to Rish Lakish. <coughs> and that was the end of their relationship. And Rish Lakish got sick because they couldn't live with his, with, with his Rebbe not speaking to him. And Rav Yechanan's sister, Rish Lakish's wife, she came to Rav Yechanan and she said, if you don't speak to my husband, he's going to die. And Rav Yechanan said, nothing doing, I'm not speaking to him. And Rish Lakish passed away. And then Rav Yechanan got sick. Because Rav Yechanan didn't have a chavrusa. He missed Reish Lakish. They brought him all these great Talmidei Chachamim, but every single time that Rav Yechanan would say something, the Talmidei Chacham that he was learning with, they would bring him proofs. He said, I don't need proofs. I know that I'm right. I need somebody like Reish Lakish. Reish Lakish used to fight me. Anytime I said something, he would fight me. He would fight me. Because that's who Reish Lakish was. He was a fighter. And he would say to me, no, it can't be correct because of this, and no, it can't be correct because of this. And then I would have to sharpen the point. I learned more because I had a chavrusa like Reish Lakish who was fighting me. And Rav Yechanan cried out, Hey cha'at bar Lakisha, hey cha'at bar Lakisha, where have you gone, Reish Lakish? Where have you gone? And Rav Yechanan got sick and he lost his mind. And the Chazal at the time, they davened for Rav Yechanan to pass away rather than have to deal with this being totally mentally ill. And they asked the Kasha, the Bali Musa asked the Kasha, I think it was Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, asked the Kasha, why didn't they just daven for him to get well and not to have a mental illness? And they answer, without Reish Lakish, Rav Yechanan could not possibly have gotten well. He missed Reish Lakish. The whole, the whole vart of both Rav Yechanan and Reish Lakish was they needed each other. It was a symbiotic relationship. Reish Lakish needed a Rebbe who told him every single day, you belong here. And when he didn't get that, Reish Lakish passed away. And Rav Yechanan needed a Talmud like Reish Lakish. A Talmud who was a fighter, a Talmud who would sharpen his points. And without him, Rav Yechanan couldn't live either. Our actions matter tremendously. When we're raising children, we don't tell our children, you're the best. Because they're not the best. They're not the best. Even if you're the best in your class. Okay, you're the best in your class. You're the best in your base Yaakov. You're 30 kids in your class. Even if you say you're the best in your grade. You're the best of 100 kids. You're the best. You're the best in all of Brooklyn. You're the best in all of Muncie. You're the best in all of the five towns, all of Chicago, all of Los Angeles, all of America, all of the world. You don't tell children you're the best. That's teaching a child to be a narcissist. We teach children, I see you worked hard. I value what you did. Right? You're important to me. That's a healthy way of raising a child. A child shouldn't have to be the best in order to be worthy. They just have to be the best for you. When you have a daughter and she's struggling in high school, and she's going through maybe the same things that you went through. Maybe it's a social struggle to fit in, maybe it's a religious challenge that she has. 
or whatever she's going through. Are you a person that she can turn to and say, hey, mom, I'm having a problem, and I could use just a kind and compassionate ear? The gift that you give a child when you create space for them, when you hold space for them, is you're telling them, you matter to me. That's a healthy way to raise a child. When, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu is stamping what Elio and Melech HaMashiach said about our mitzvos, it's not that our mitzvah is the most important mitzvah in the world. You know, I feel like that's the type of narcissistic schmooze that could exist today. You should know that when you do a mitzvah, it's the most important mitzvah in the world. I don't know what the most important mitzvah in the world is. I don't know. Maybe somebody is giving their life al Kiddush Hashem at this moment. And you gave a half a shekel to tzedakah. I'm not saying your mitzvah is the most important mitzvah in the world. And frankly, we would never play the game of whose mitzvah is more important. But what we can say is that when you are doing a mitzvah, and Eliyahu and Melech Mashiach are writing it down, if you were living in the times of the Nevi'im and the Navi was writing it down, you would know, my mitzvah matters to HaKadosh Baruch That's not fluff. That's not kitschy. That's important. It's important to know your mitzvah really does matter to someone. And that's what inspires us to do a mitzvah. I want to read to you a poem. It's a famous poem, and I'm sure some of you know this poem. It's a poem that's called When You Thought I Wasn't Looking. I don't know if you've heard this poem before, but it's an amazing poem. It's a poem about parenting. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you hang my first painting on the refrigerator, and I wanted to paint another one. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you feed a stray cat, and I thought it was good to be kind to animals. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw you make my favorite cake for me, and I knew that little things are special. When you thought I wasn't looking, I heard you say a prayer, and I believed that there was a God to talk to. When you thought I wasn't looking, I felt you kiss me goodnight, and I felt loved. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw tears come from your eyes, and I learned that sometimes things hurt, but it's all right to cry. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw that you cared, and I wanted to be everything that I could be. When you thought I wasn't looking, I looked. And I wanted to say thanks for all the things I saw when you thought I wasn't looking. It's an exceptionally beautiful poem. Our children are looking. You know this because you looked. You know your parents better than anybody in the entire world. No? Is there anybody in the world that knows your parents better than you? In fact, if I asked you, I'm sure you would say wonderful things about your parents, but you might also say, yeah, my parents say this, but they really this. Because you were looking very carefully. You were looking when you saw your father sneak some tzedakah to somebody, and he thought that nobody was looking. You were looking when, when your mother made something special. You were looking. But if you look at the words of this poem, and I love them very, very, very much... When we hang our children's painting on the refrigerator, what does she say? And I wanted to paint another one. Why? We put our kids' stuff on the refrigerator, and that says to them, hey, Ima and Abba love my paintings. I want to paint more. It's not only that we're role models for our children because they're looking at us all the time. It's that when we, when we do these things, when we tell our children in so many different ways, sometimes we say it verbally, sometimes we put... Uh, 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 you know, a painting on the refrigerator. Sometimes we come in, if we come in late and we weren't there for bedtime and we come into the house at 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, it's just going over to them and giving them a kiss on their forehead and maybe they wake up for two seconds and maybe they give you that little, that little six-year-old smile that, 
they won't remember in the morning, but in that moment, they remembered. It's always like the, the little kids say, I know Ema's not home right now, she's at a parent-teacher conferences and they're putting to sleep and they go, tell Ema to come snuggle us when she, when she gets home. Is there a more beautiful word in the entire English language than the word snuggle? <laughs> it's the most beautiful word. What does it mean for a little child to sit there and snuggle their parent? Is it, is it because it's comfortable? It's not always comfortable. But there's no, more, there's no more beautiful feeling than being snuggled by a parent because that's the parent's way of saying to the child, I love you and you matter. You know, tomorrow night we're going to be makabal the Torah. That's, that's no small thing. This is the moment in time when HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, this is my greatest possession. And you matter to me. So here, I'm sharing this with you. That's not a, that, that, that's not a small thing. You know, it's like Kaviachu, um, and obviously this is a, a bad marshal. My grandmother, Allah Shalom, she gave me, as the oldest grandchild, she said, she called me Matt, and I grew up as, as Matt. Then I got older, I changed to Mordechai, so my name became Matt Mordechai, whatever your name is. <laughs> and um, when, when I got engaged, my grandmother said, you'll get engaged with my ring. That's, 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 a, that's an heirloom, right? That's like the type of thing that gets passed down grandmother to grandson, grandmother to grandson. You know, like for generations you could do that. It's a beautiful thing. Because it's something that matters. Your grandfather gave this to me, and one day you'll give this to your wife. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has the greatest gift in the world. It's, it's the Torah. The Torah is him. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is one with his will and his wisdom. The Torah is not just fancy jewelry. The Torah is giving the gift of himself. These are my thoughts. These are my feelings. This is what I want the world to look like. These are my ambitions and aspirations for what we can do together. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes and says... It really matters. You really matter. So if we have a feeling on Shavuos night of like, okay, it's Yantif, so like I can't, I can't do Malacha. That's not what it's about. It's about you're important. And what's the reaction that we have? Of all the minhagim that we have in Klal Yisrael, Shavuos is the strangest minhag. At 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm going in yeshivas, Baruch Hashem, the base magic will be packed, and you'll have Asmada, Belibatala, I'm not talking about the minig that's, that's developed today in certain towns where each shul has the best possible spread that's out there. I remember when I was a kid, we had like a, like a, a route that we would walk on Shavuos night. And it starts off milchiks and ends off leishiks, right? <laughs> and it's like, uh, you have a milchik suda, and then you have, uh, this one has a waffle bar, and this one has pancakes, and then there's the ice cream station and the pizza, and then and, and you, until you get like 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, and then you, got, you want to get to the places that now are holding by the barbecue, and then by the time, five, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about real Shavuos. I'm talking about people that are sitting in base measures, not people that are running out to go get the food. At 3 o'clock in the morning, at 3.30 in the morning, at 4 o'clock in the morning, I want you to know they're not learning that well. Their mind is not as sharp as it is at 10.30 in the morning. It's a strange minute. And then when it comes time for davening, Shavuos morning davening is always chalash. Uh, it, it's, it's beautiful, but it's, it's like Rus is one of the most beautiful Megillas ever, and also, everyone's asleep. Everyone's asleep. They stayed up the whole night. You see, you see guys, the, the, and I love these guys. I'm one of these guys. The, uh, the, the, head, the head bob fight. 
Are you familiar with the head bob fight? The guy who's like, there's two head bobs. There's the front head bob, which is like they're looking in in Rus and they're like, <laughs> right, that guy. And then there's a guy who's in a precarious position. That's the. <laughs> and, and, and there's an amazing moment when the yarmulke falls off in the back and he wakes up because the yarmulke fell off, but he's got those cat like reflexes. So he's like, and he like catches his yarmulke in the back. It's amazing that there aren't more Jews in, in the NBA. We are tremendously athletic. We've seen. Claudio can be tremendously athletic. We don't daven well, we don't learn well. What are we doing? In fact, to the degree that I know of a certain place, and I don't agree with this, I know of a certain place that like, this is, it's a ridiculous minute, we're not going to do this. We'll learn until Chatzos, we'll wake up for Vasikin, and we'll learn again in the morning. But this way, our learning will be good, and our davening will be good. He says, no, no, no. Love makes us do strange things. When we hear HaKadosh Baruch Hu coming and saying, Matana Taiva Yeshli Bebeis Gnazai, Right? And it's Shabbos. The Shabbos Shmo. You have Shabbos. I'm giving you Shabbos. I'm giving you the Sarasat Dibros. I'm giving, you this, I'm giving you my stuff. I'm giving you me. The feeling that we have is, yeah, well, we're just as in love with you. Because we heard HaKadosh Baruch Hu come and say to us that we matter. At this time of year, there's always a schmooze that starts to happen. I hate the schmooze. They come and they say, okay, we're winding down the year. Rav Berg, I get hired by different seminaries to come in and do this like song and dance. The how to take it with you dance. You know this, uh, you know this moves? How to take it with you. Which first of all is ridiculous because it's like, if we've been doing this right the entire year, then of course you take it with you, right? If the ideas are truly inspirational, if they change the way you see the world, then of course you take it with you. But really on some level it comes down to one basic thing. If this matters and you matter, then of course you'll take it with you. We don't, we don't drop things that matter. Nobody misses a flight. Who misses a flight? You know, so I can't wake up in the morning. Tomorrow I have a 5 o'clock in the morning flight. I need to be in LaGuardia at 3 o'clock in the morning to make that flight. I'm going to go to sleep for three hours, but I'm going to set an alarm. That same girl, that Pasha tells me, I cannot wake up in the morning. She's like, kum kari. So all of a sudden she's like, and she's up. <laughs> and she's walking out, and she's like, and, and you see, she's not human. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know how that walk to the Uber at 3 o'clock in the morning, have you ever done that? <laughs> this is not a human being. This is protoplasm in motion. That's what it is. And it's like they have the, they're, they're still in process of, of, uh, of coffeeing themselves. So they have that giant Starbucks. You know, and it's like they're walking on. They're like, you know, it's, like a, it's a move. There's no makeup. I'm just going on the plane anyway. By the time they land, I want you to know that girl went to the bathroom at some point on the plane. She came out. She's like a totally different human being. But for a moment, for a moment. How'd she, how'd she wake up? I'm not going to miss my flight. I'm not going to miss my flight. i got to get back. I have a thing. I have a date. i got to get back in time for the date. You don't miss your flight. When it matters, the problem is, does it really matter to us? If we knew that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was watching, how would we say Moda'ani in the morning? If we knew that Elio and Melech HaMashiach were writing down our mitzvos, how would you do that small act of chesed? Not to be seen. Not to be seen, but just because. Not because it's going to be on YouTube one day. That's the whole, again, I, I don't like that muscle. They give that muscle. You're going to come to Olam Haba, there's going to be a movie screen, and everybody's going to be watching. You don't want to be embarrassed. What a terrible muscle. Let's see if we can shame people into doing Averis, or not doing Averis. That's a terrible muscle. 
It's not YouTube and Shamayim. It's much more powerful than that. It's, it really matters. It really matters. And because it really matters, if you would know that it really matters, then the way that we would do our mitzvahs would change. The way that we would be the Torah would change. Bez Hashem, it's been a tremendous year of growth. I saw, I only looked at it briefly, but I saw there's a Shavuos schedule, so I assume that means that there are some people here for Shavuos. Yeah. I don't know what's on the Shavuos schedule, but if I could encourage you to take a moment, take a moment before you sit down to learn, take a moment to say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave me himself because this matters and I matter, and life matters, and we're here for a cosmic and infinite reason. And then whatever you do on Shavuos, allow that feeling to permeate your being. Allow it to, 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 to nestle itself deep into the recesses of your mind. Because it really does. And we want to be people that eventually our children come to us and say, when you thought I wasn't looking, I saw how much I mattered to you. Girls, have a good job.